welcome to Indonesia Digital Deconstructed, where we break apart and dive deep into the different parts of the Indonesian tech scene to get an insider's look into how each space is evolving. Leveraging off our research, proprietary insights, and working with leading entrepreneurs, we'll bring you the insider's view of the industry as we navigate our way around one of the world's fastest growing tech scenes. I'm Michael Suryaji, your host and managing partner at ACV. Today, we go into our seventh episode and explore the world of Islamic finance in Southeast Asia. Joining us today is Dima Jani, co-founder and CEO of Alami, one of the world's leading Sharia-compliant SME lending platforms. Today's global Islamic banking sector is worth close to $2 trillion and growing at a KGAR of 14%. Islamic banking has a 6% share in global banking assets. Meanwhile, Indonesia's Islamic finance market share is set to cross the 10% threshold. For Alami, this offers a large and fast-growing market opportunity. Operating in the world's largest Muslim-majority country, the startup is facing off against financial giants. To date, it has disbursed over $200 million to more than 10,000 MSME projects, with an impressive 0% default rate across the board. Dima, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. A pleasure to be here. So let's start with your origin story and problem discovery. Um, first, maybe for the benefit of our audience, can you explain what does Sharia actually mean and how does Sharia banking differ from conventional banking? Sure. Um, so Sharia is basically the way to do things that we believe it's according to the principles. Um, so when it comes to Sharia finance, it's essentially the way we conduct financial transaction that is not against the, the principles. So that, that's basically it. And I think the myth uh, from a lot for a lot of people out there is that Sharia finance or Islamic finance is exclusively towards the Muslim, but apparently it's actually just a system so it's actually inclusive for everyone to use it in fact a lot of the users are non-muslim so uh, i'd like to get these things first so everybody is aligned of what what sharia finance is all about now the principles that uh, in sharia finance not supposed to be engaged is basically the interest or usury um, so that is kind of like the key element uh, that we're not supposed to be dealing with so every loan or financing transactions need to be structured in a way that it doesn't involve the uh, interest as the basis of generating the returns now how do we do about it is by do a profit sharing scheme per projects for examples or we do a buy and sell scheme which means that instead of uh, interest generation it's actually a profit generation now Economically speaking, there will be some differences uh, in terms of the risk sharing proportion. At the end of the spectrum, if we're dealing with interest-based product, um, definitely it's of the most the, the safest uh, spectrum. Uh, but as we as we slide the kind of risk sharing lever way to the to the middle, now that typically where um, I, I would say that the Islamic finance games into play. For the laymen or non-finance uh, guys out there, I, I would say to, to introduce this is very similar to Impossible Burger, right? So 
there is a belief that for those fans or believers of impossible meat that eating vegan make you healthier it's better for your body and everything so but then the taste is a little bit the same but it's different but you can think of your eating meat so it the it's not that apparent in terms of the difference so uh, we believe that islamic finance will create a better outcome as a result of the financial transaction because it's fairer uh, it's more transparent it doesn't involve the, the interest element or the gambling speculation element economically speaking it's almost the same like the meat beyond impossible meat and the normal meat but then the outcome would be different uh, so uh, as the impossible meat is also being eaten by non-exclusive vegan, I would say that Islamic finance also can be used for any other religion. So it's just a system. So I think that that's kind of, kind of like the best way that I can portray it. Thank you for that analogy. And as we all know, uh, impossible burgers taste very good as well, and it's just as close to its uh, to the actual beef burgers. So from the point of view of the customer between Sharia products and conventional banking products, they're actually still experiencing returns. It's just the mechanism and the structure of the products that is different. So it's safe to say that actually the market for Sharia products also include the broader conventional market. And so it's actually bigger than conventional banking products. Yes, exactly. I mean, one of the example would be under the principles we're not supposed to finance vice industry, right? And that principle is very much similar to these ESG principles. Um, so interestingly, when one of our investors offered us a site letter as part of the fundraising, talking about ESG specific things, they said we are the fastest one that agreed to that site letter. And we, we didn't even negotiate anything because principally the, the two principles are the same. So I think that, that that's an interesting way to see about the Islamic finance as well. I see. Thank you for explaining that. It's it's great to know that you're investing in products with a very strong ESG angle. So Dima, I want to understand a little bit more about your background and the journey that led you to build Alami. Can you share with us your personal story? Sure. Um, I was a former banker. Um, I used to work at City at the Corporate and Investment Banking Division. Um, I think in Indonesia, I would say a lot of people think that City is the best banking university there is that we have. Um, so I, I worked there for about seven years um, in, in Jakarta and a little bit in Hong Kong. And I moved to Sokjen, also doing the same thing. Um, but creating Alami, my experience actually goes beyond my professional experience, which is actually my education experience. So during junior high school, my mom put me into an Islamic boarding school in West Java. And reason for that is because she thought that I was a naughty boy during my primary years. <laughs> um, so that, that kind of like instill the mindset and also speaking the same, I would say, language with a lot of Muslims in Indonesia and the grassroots. And then during college, I went to to Singapore and also North Carolina for an exchange. So I think this pers different perspectives between 
the the modern and how the, the global kind of finance group comes into play as well as understanding on the very local Islamic context in Indonesia, kind of what brought me to come up with, with the Alami idea, especially when I did my research and apparently the penetration is still so low and nobody has really been effectively cracking this market. So it, it posed a challenge to me uh, and my team, which we think about it seriously and we're on a mission to revolutionize this industry and to make it great again. So we've established that the market for Sharia products is vast and it also includes conventional finance market. What is it within Sharia banking that you have identified as the specific problem that you're trying to solve? Right. So uh, there's a lot of problems there from the product perspective. So for example, Islamic banking products is deemed to be more expensive and everything is due to the uh, higher cost of deposit or cost of funds. And when we de- uh, dive down on why the cost of funds is generally higher, there are two main reasons. One is the positioning is not that unique enough. So basically a lot of incumbents are actually following the conventional banking playbook. And second, obviously, using the same playbook with way uh, lower resources when it comes to manpower and as well as infrastructure. So this is a definite loss in terms of race. And we feel that we can, as a, as a disruptor in the industry, we can actually um, do, do it the other way. And so what we do is we strengthen our branding and unique positioning and then this creates a, a trust, not only the trust on how we conduct the financial transaction, but also the trust that really, we are really committed to uphold the Sharia principles. And from that trust comes a segment that is very sticky. We are not generating the highest yield for our funders per se, but we manage to get a high quality borrowers, SME borrowers, and these funders were pretty happy with the yield that they're getting because uh, it, it's relatively safe for them. And as a result, we're able to lower our cost of financing, getting the better uh, and good borrowers and keep the virtual cycle there. So I think that's what we can offer vis-a-vis our, the incumbents. And obviously customer education is key in this market. We can look at the investment market for example uh, we know that the invest the leading investment apps in indonesia has been investing a lot of money for customer education so i think this is very similar play to islamic finance so when the markets is educated then the cac going forward will be very very low they will look at the best providers and then the competition pool will shrunk so much and i think we can fall out as the winner Speaking about the winner, can you share about the numbers on this space? How big do you think is the market? Sure. Globally, it's about two to two trillion US dollars of a market, but I, I believe that is massively underrepresented because uh, the population of Muslim globally is 1.8 billion people. So I think there's a lot of underserved market in different parts of the world. Now, if we're speaking on Indonesia, 
uh, Indonesia is fortunately housing the biggest Muslim population in the world with 230 million Muslims living in Indonesia. This, now, the size of the Islamic banking industry is about 30 billion US dollars, of which it represents only about 6 to 7 percent of total banking assets. Now, this is a good problem to have because when we look at other markets such as Malaysia or Saudi Arabia, their penetration is way higher. Malaysia is about 30 percent and Saudi is about 50 percent. So given that our GDP is much higher than these two countries at more than one trillion US dollars and the penetration is so low and the awareness growing so fast, I think we are in the perfect time to enter the market and and benefit from the 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 growth of what we call the halal lifestyle in, in Indonesia. That's very exciting. It sounds like Indonesian market is relatively underserved and presents a large opportunity for players such as Alami to be able to also catch up with other markets such as Malaysia in terms of Sharia penetration in fintech. Who are the players that Alami is up against in Indonesia and what are we doing differently? In terms of uh, Islamic fintech, I think it's safe to say we are one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, SME fintech lending platform on the Sharia or Islamic side. Uh, now the competition is actually against the incumbents. So uh, it's more of a David versus Goliath kind of situation where half of the 30 billion US dollars market is being controlled by the state-owned Islamic banks, which is the Bank Sharia Indonesia. Uh, the rest of the other 50% is being split by privately owned uh, Islamic banks here. So uh, we feel that with this kind of market uh, structure, it's actually easier for newcomers to come and disrupt the market. I mean, we are looking at New Bank, for example, in Brazil, where the market is highly controlled by three banks, two big banks in, in Brazil. Uh, so this is actually uh, a better situation for, for us because 50% of the market is dominated by one bank that is just got merged and still figuring out the, the execution going forward. Um, so we, I think we came uh, at the right time and the right place uh, with the right team to execute as well. So we're very excited uh, of, of the market. So actually, instead of competing against this giants, uh, Goliath, as, as you described it, the market itself is still relatively very early. So in a way, all the players are also helping to promote and grow the market and make the pie bigger for everyone. Well, that's the beautiful thing about the, this industry because the penetration is still very low. The competition will actually make the market bigger instead of cannibalizing each other's. So whichever things that we are doing with our competitors is actually promoting the Islamic banking or Islamic finance compared to the other broader, I would say, financial market. Uh, so I think there would be some form of competition, you know, a cooperation, competition kind of thing that eventually will be good for the industry as a whole. Speaking of growing the market, do you have any data on how many of your customers are first-time Sharia 
banking customers and previously was using more conventional banking services? And what led them to switch to Sharia banking products? Yeah. So uh, in terms of Hijra Bank, uh, we just uh, did a soft launch uh, three months ago and we haven't gone into a, a formal, I would say, grand launch. So we still have limited uh, samples. But based on that samples of about 5,000 active users that we have at the moment, um, it's a combination of those switching from incumbent Islamic banks that's a little bit um, not digital native uh, and switching to us because we're digital native. And there are, I would say, uh, probably now is about a little bit less than 10% that's switching from conventional to, to Sharia bank and trying to use us. So there are two use cases. So on the latter, it's actually because they didn't want to try the Islamic banking solution, but there is none that is easy enough to open an account, to do transaction, to have features that allow us to make a, you know, a more disciplined financial um, um, decisions. So we're seeing these two use cases of switching from um, a slower and bigger Islamic banks to a more agile like us, or those who already use the digital banks uh, conventional and coming to the Islamic one just because they want to do it Islamic way. That's very interesting. So not only you're attracting existing uh, users from other conventional platforms because Alami is more digitally native and maybe more convenient to use, but also you're attracting customers who previously were accustomed to using conventional banking services. And for the latter, is it correct to assume that they are getting actually less financial return? Um, yes and no. It really depends on the uh, product that we serve. So at the moment, uh, our banking product is 0% savings account, but we're not charging any fee to them. So depending on the savings amount, it can actually be more accretive to, to that rather than dilutive because most often that when you have like only a small balance in the bank, rather than getting like interest income, you actually get penalized by the monthly fee. Um, so when it comes to real calculation, it might be equal because we don't charge them at all. But optically, yes, they're getting kind of like lower return because they're, they're receiving no return. Uh, but I guess this is the growing trend among the Islamic markets. We can see that in the Bangshore Indonesia's equity research report, for example, this is something that is being pushed to the front. This is the first product we're going to push to the market. And it has been growing so rapidly in a way that BSI can compete with BCA, for example, for car financing because their cost of fund is just relatively low. So this is something that we would like to, 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 to promote as well and to scale with technology. That's very interesting. Thank you. So most of your customers for the Hijra Bank, are they, can you share more about their demographics and their profiles? Yeah. They, what we call them, we split into six personas based on our internal research and 
the two personas that we are targeting is the modern Muslim guru and the Sharia groundskeeper. That's how we name them. So on the modern Muslim gurus, they're typically urban millennials uh, working in a professional, um, you know, uh, professions uh, in, in offices, SCBD, and all that. But then they they have a higher critical thinking when it comes to to religion, and they're trying to relearn their their religion, uh, relearning Islam and all other aspects that comes with it, which includes the financial aspect of life. Uh, so we see them; they have a high disponible income uh, and and purchasing power, but they're pretty critical. They want to go into the Islamic banks that really what they think is really comply with the Sharia principles. Uh, for Sharia groundskeeper, uh, they are, I would say, on the halal lifestyle spectrum. They already uh, gone into the next level, so they have their job, but their focus is on how do I, you know, collect like good rewards for my, my next life after this. So uh, these are the two personas that we're captured, capturing right now. And a lot of them is actually either just got married or just having a child. So these two moments are, the, uh, we, we think is the life-changing moments for people to become more spiritual, more balanced in their life. So a lot of our personas are, uh, you know, after going through like these milestones in life. Aside from that, do you also have uh, customers not because they're, they're looking for the Sharia values? Yes. I think on the peer-to-peer side, for example, our funders, uh, the one that I would say maybe uh, non-Muslim because apparently, obviously they're not uh, coming because of the Sharia values, is actually coming because of our service and I would say our user experience and our ability to manage the risk. Um, so I think we we heard their feedback uh, actually not long ago from some of them that uh, they really appreciate the way we conduct the business because uh, when others are really growing excessively at the expense of I would say credit quality we remain uh, growing sustainably but but fast so a lot of their portfolios are are quite safe and they get a considerable amount of returns. So when we say that our yield is not the highest, yes, but the yield over, I would say, risk would probably one of the highest, uh, if I would say so. And on the borrower side, uh, a lot of them uh, I would say around less, a little bit less than 50% were probably non-Muslim borrowers. And they also appreciate the values on, for example, not charging late payment fee because we do invoice financing. Most often, the problem is actually not with the borrowers, but with the payers. So when the payer is being late and paying them and we're not charging anything to them, uh, it's actually quite a relief for them and this increased stickiness for them coming back into our platform so our retention rate for our borrowers is actually pretty high 72 percent uh, on month-on-month basis um, and this correlates with our funders as well so we educated the funders that if there's any late payment uh, because of the structure didn't allow for late uh, 
penalty, etc. So they will need to wait. But to compensate that, we always update them. We have tracker in our app so that it's transparent. Uh, the funders knows like what's happening, what is our effort in doing the collection and all of these things. So that creates kind of trust to the brand and to the system that allows everybody to take benefit from from the system and keep it uh, you know sustainable and and in a virtuous cycle that's very insightful and it sounds like for sharia banking it's perhaps even compared to conventional banking the ltv sounds because everything is based on trust it sounds like the ltv is going to be even more significant that's right. I think at the end of the day, uh, this if we can crack the, the positioning, I think the trust for Sharia financial institution and how we conduct financial transactions will actually reinforce each other because our literacy, financial literacy in general in Indonesia is pretty low. So if, if people doesn't have like high financial literacy, but they can say that oh this brand is actually over uh, is committed to to uphold the sharia principles that i can trust them and they can then learn how the financial transactions be conducted so we feel that this is another angle actually to do customer acquisition uh differently from the other banks so for the benefit of our audience who us who are interested now to become your customer how do they sign up and become an open an account uh, they, they just need to have a smartphone and they can just visit App Store or Play Store and we're there. And the registration is pretty fast. I think it's about three to five minutes. Family can be connected to each other and to the children and come up with financial solution for them. That sounds very convenient indeed. Thank you, Dima, for joining us and congratulations on all the work you've accomplished so far. Well, thank you, Mike, as always, for the trust. And I'm very happy to be you know, in this podcast and hopefully this can convey the right message about the Islamic finance industry.